Welcome to the Emmaus Colloquy. This podcast exists to promote silly and serious discussion about everything from fishing and sports to church and theology. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. And now, for the colloquy. All right, Jimmy. So, uh, yeah, I got myself a bonafide SS-127, which is a fishing kayak. And uh, got it out on the lake today for the first time. It was freaking awesome. That's cool. Yeah, so here's a few SS1. things. SS-127. Nice. Yeah, it's uh so for fishing kayaks, it's a uh, it's probably not the Cadillac of fishing kayaks. That's gonna be like your Hobie. Unlike Hobie on the other end of the spectrum, the Tyco that uh, you used. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but for yeah. this, but for this guy, the the Bonafide, this particular model, you you can adjust your seat to sit about 15 inches up above the water. You can adjust your seat? Yeah. So it will lift you up? So will the seat adjust to different heights? I think the lowest setting is like 7 or 8 inches up off the deck. And then the highest up setting... Up the top of the kayak? Yeah. And then the highest setting where I keep it's about 15 inches. Why do you keep it up so high? Well, because it's comfortable. Like, it's like sitting in a regular chair. Oh, so really? it's super comfy, yeah. Oh. I was out there for four hours this morning, and it was, other than not having uh, a plan to figure out what to do if I needed to go to the bathroom. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, you get those pee jugs that you could take out on the boat, and I have one. I just didn't take it with me, and I regretted that. So I got off the water at 10 o'clock. I probably would have got stayed out there a lot longer uh, had I had planned so ahead. Go yeah. Just go in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you getting wet anyways? You do get a little wet, but not not much. Nah. It's wet. I'll be honest, I got wetter than I... Kayaking. It's like great. I feel like this freedom to just go pee whenever I want to. I really hope that you're lying right now. Why? You're in the water. It's like you don't pee in a pool, but if you're out in a lake, pee in the lake. This this feels really wrong to me. <laughs> Dad went poop off the side of the boat. Yeah, well, you know, there's... Maybe there's a little bit more of him in me than there is in you. Well, the thing is, is with the kayak, I'm intending to not get wet. Well, just embrace it. Get wet. I, and then that way you'll be able to say, that way you'll be able to say I'm wet already. This was no, not the conversation. This was not the conversation I envisaged us having today. <laughs> I can tell you're kind of, <laughs> you, you're still wondering if I'm joking, but I'm not. <laughs> 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 no, if I'm if I'm in the water and it's not a pool, I'm peeing. Well, I can understand that. Like I, you know, if the the option that I have is a little jug, you pee in the jug. 
It's the same kind of thing that we use at the hospital for our patients, except it's made for a boat. Because I don't want to, I've, I've had a sore conscience. Like, I, it would be so easy to just take one from the hospital home. Yeah. But my conscience won't let me, which is a good thing, because I shouldn't steal from the hospital. You're such so, a legalist. I know. Well, you know, that's appropriate for me to be legalistic about that. So I went and I, I spent the $7 at Bass Pro or wherever it was, and or Fleet Farm, or I can't remember where, and I bought the little red one. But I just didn't take it with me. And the thing is, is those kayaks, the way these bonafides are built, they got like a catamaran set up underneath of it. So they're super stable. And there's like videos, you know, people standing on the very edge of them and not tipping them, which is great. But the problem is, is I'm just not used to it. You know, yeah. so I'm afraid yeah. I stand up to pee over the side of the the kayak. First of all, you got to find a spot where there aren't other people around. You don't want to get arrested for exposing yourself. And then, and then you got to figure out how to not fall in while leaning over the kayak or getting it into the kayak, which this kayak has holes in the bottom of it, so it'll run through. But still, I don't want to. Pee on my own kayak, so there you go. It's pee on your own kayak. Dude. No, no. It's plastic. Yeah, but mine. This is not just plastic. This seat's a super nice seat, and then it's got like it's got like this foam padding on the. Oh yeah, I'm thinking of my kayak. You're thinking of the Tyco, Jimmy. plastic. You're thinking of the Tyco. Yeah. You're thinking it's literally all plastic except for the chintzy little aluminum chain that was affixed from, you know, that held the seat up. Mm hmm. Not mine. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're driving in something where you just can't pee your pants. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to pee my pants anyway. It's, <laughs> it's a great thing. I always went out in swim trunks. Oh, Jimmy. So what else? I, I looked at the kayak briefly. What were the, um, there was like these dark, uh, the black spot, like uh, squares up in the front of it. Does it have like, it looked like it had a pole holders on it. and. Yeah. So, oh, you looked up the bonafide? No, no. You sent me a picture of it in the back of your truck. Oh, yeah. So, so there's, um yeah, there's a. There's like a compartment on the very front, at the front end of the kayak that opens up either way, and you can store your poles on, in the hull. Okay. Right now, I just have my push rod in there. And then... If you get stuck, is that what it, the push rod's for? Well, it's really helpful for like when you're just loading and unloading in an, or, or boarding and unboarding it. Okay. You don't use a butt of your paddle for that? You can, but you don't want to break it. Break your paddle. What are your paddles made out of? Plastic. And if you spend good money on a paddle, they're like over a hundred bucks for a good one. You don't want to break it. Just getting in and out. So. So I yeah. I actually did have a nice paddle. Yeah, having a good paddle is important, especially if you don't have a trolling motor on your thing. Or if it or if it sinks really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, if you're if you're riding around in a child's toy, a Tyco <laughs> out on the water. <laughs> uh, so you were you were saying that it, 
it like has anti-flipping technology? It's not anti-flipping technology. It's just it's not magic, Jimmy. <laughs> it's it's just um it's they it's made with really good material. The plastic that they use is it's super thick, and it. Um, I was watching one video. The guy, the guy said they put magic air in it. <laughs> anyway, he was just being silly. The it's point. Hard to, it's hard to flip it, though, right? It's hard to flip it because of the way that. It, so each, so like your wilderness systems, your Hobies, and different brands of kayaks, they use different design to help provide stability. The reason I like this one is it uses it's it's called a catamaran style. So basically, it looks like underneath it looks like there's two rails that go along yeah. the outside edge. Most of them kind of come to a point in the center. This one's convex in the center. Okay. So it 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 goes up, yeah. right? And so yeah. and then you have your rails that protrude down in your uh, on the uh, outside edges of your kayak and it just makes a really stable it's super really? stable yeah yeah i'm not you know i could i stood up in it a couple times i'm I, you still like even though i wasn't i was confident wasn't going to tip i was just afraid i'd lose my balance yeah, and then yeah. screw things up so it's just going to take me a little bit to kind of get my my legs yeah, under me. Get used to it yeah. yeah but um but it was great getting out there the first time with it. It paddled way easier than I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to be out there like working really hard to get that thing to move around. And uh, I was all over this lake. I mean, I didn't go all the way to the south end of the lake because it's pretty long, but all over the north end of the lake. And and I got a lot, I got around pretty easily. So yeah. I was I was really happy with it. So it's called when you said Bono. Bonafides. <laughs> Boniface. Boniface? <laughs> no, Bonafide. Bonafide. So I would thought that you were saying it was a Bonafide and then the brand, like the real McCoy sort of a thing. No, that's um, the brand. It's Bonafide. That's the actual brand. Yeah, that's the brand. By the way, have you heard of Mike Rowe, uh, his podcast, uh, the way I heard it? I've heard that podcast. I've not listened to maybe so one or two of them. He talks about, you know, he um, he always starts off with kind of like a, it's a mystery as to what he's actually talking about. There's a punchline at the end of it. Uh-huh. And he starts by telling you about this man named Bill and, or this, you know, these people. And he tells kind of a story and then he gets to the end of it and then he reveals who it's about. So it's kind of an inductive kind of approach. Okay, got it. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. And uh, he has one where he talks about uh, where the phrase "the real McCoy" came from. You know, I think I may have heard that one. I might have sent that one to you because that was when I first started listening to it, and I was like, "This is really interesting." Because he uh, he does most of the ones that he does are on actors, actresses, and like music, mm -hmm. and I just. I'm not into that kind of stuff, but, um, so I, I generally, I don't listen as much as I used to, but I really like just like his historical stuff. He did one on, um, the guy who invented the microwave. Um, he was, it was a scientist who was walking, uh, through his lab and he always, uh, 
kept chocolates in his pocket and the chocolates kept melting every time he went into the lab when they were doing certain things. So he was radiating himself. <laughs> What's that? So he was radiating himself every time he was going into the lab. Is that the end of the, end of the story? He well, died of radiation he poisoning. Melt the chocolate. Yeah, because he's radiating and, himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you know, then he came up with the real came to kept saying, you know, why is the chocolate in my pocket continually melting every time I walk in? And he, you know, came to the conclusion that this is what it was. And so then he. It's really kind of, you know, he has... Then he realized he was cooking his organs like as that. well? What? Did he realize... At what point did he realize he was cooking his organs? Oh, I don't know. Probably after it was too late, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> if it was melting the chocolate, it was doing something to his kidneys, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. And you told me this story because you thought that this was relevant to the name Bonafide? Oh, yeah, yeah, the real McCoy. Uh, that's kind of, you know, Bonafide. Mm. Same, same difference. Okay. Just f tracking your, your uh, brain waves here. Yeah, they're kind of untrackable. Yeah. Brent, <laughs> so uh, I, I asked, I was, we were driving home. Uh, we went to the Iowa Hawkeye football game. Oh, yeah. I On Saturday. You didn't watch it? Oh, you missed a no. good one. It was a great game. We we I got tickets from somebody at work and uh, went to the uh, – we, we sat in the fourth row down right near the end zone on the on – the, I guess it would be the north end of the field. And, oh, my word, it was insane. We had such a blast. It was a great yeah. time. And uh, for those listening, that is not Jimmy unzipping or zipping his pants. That is his tent. <laughs> but we we went to the Hawkeye game, which was absolutely nuts. It was crazy. It was it, what you would imagine it would be if the entire nation was locked up for over a year and unable to go to any sporting events and then all yeah. of a sudden got to do it. it. The first quarter was so intense. It was crazy. Cool. Yeah. And uh, we had a blast. So Brendan and I are on our way home from Iowa City back to the Des Moines area. And when we get to, as we're driving down the road, I looked over at Brenda and I, I said, uh, I said, I wonder what tar is made out of. And she was like, what? She said, I wonder, I wonder what tar is made of. Like, I've never, like, what is tar? Is it like, I, I couldn't, I was trying to think about what tar was actually made from. And, uh, just, and she's like, how? Like a natural resource? Well, anyway, long story short, she, she was like, how, like, where did that come from? Like, what, why are you thinking about tar? <laughs> and I said, you don't, you just don't want to know. You don't, you like, you, th this is just not something that you want to know. And so anyway, so I, I said, well, I'm going to tell you anyway, because you asked. And so I, I told her the string of thoughts that, uh, that I experienced that led me to thinking about tar. And uh, I can't remember what it was now, but anyway, it was long. And she just looked at me like, like your brain is crazy. And then she looked at me and she said, you know, she said, 
Paige always complains that every time she gets in your vehicle that you never have music on. This must be why. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, my brain is annoying. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. What is car? So did they win? The Hawkeyes? Yeah. Yeah, they 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 went pretty hard in the paint against those Indiana Hoosiers. They score. It was it was thirty four or no, maybe it was more than that. It was thirty. Yeah, no, it was thirty four to six. Wow. Yeah, and Indiana went. Indiana was ranked. A point higher than they were 17. Iowa's ranked 18 going in. And Indiana had a great team last year, so I assumed that they would do better, but but uh but Hawkeyes just went out and dominated really the first half. The second half was pretty slow. It was just they scored one uh field goal and we scored one field goal. But or no, maybe we scored two. We scored two field goals. But there were no touchdowns in the second half. But it was a great game. We loved it. It was a blast. Cool. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I was watching uh, today. I was watching uh, U.S. Open tennis, and um, it was from a game yesterday. But they were replaying it, and the crowd is unusually raucous. Yeah, I think people are it's like really great. People are excited. really excited to be out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really fun to watch when the crowd's really into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even all the people are just waiting to eat it up, you know. I even enjoyed watching a uh, a video of the Wisconsin Badgers football team. Wisconsin yeah. Badgers, evidently they play jump around by house of pain at okay. some point during their football games. And the entire stadium was going nuts to that song. It was crazy. I was yeah. like, Oh, I actually am kind of endeared by the, <laughs> these, these crazy Wisconsin Badgers who I normally despise. <laughs> you, you know what's so I hate to get political, but I'm gonna, um, the, I don't really, you know, I don't really care what people, individuals do and stuff like that with all the pandemic stuff. But the fact that there, you know, you see all of these huge crowds and everything and then kids are, you know, kind of forced to wear masks all day. In school? Yeah. It just seems, doesn't seem right to me. I don't know. I'm torn on it. Either. Be breathing in their goobers all day. Yeah, I'm I'm torn on it. I uh, I don't like it when the government tells people what to do. Yeah. But then again, I'm also, you know, working in the hospital. I get a view of things that. Yeah. What's the, it been like? Recently? It's been absolutely horrible. Oh, really? There's been a lot of people in the. It's absolutely horrible in the hospital right so, now. But, but my point would be, because um, I'm not, you know, I don't deny the reality of COVID or anything like yeah. that. So I'm vaccinated and all that stuff. 
but um but, but the point of you know the stadiums are opened up where you have massive numbers of people mm-hmm. gathered together for a sporting event mm-hmm. and then you have these kids you know that are wearing them all day long yeah I, well i think like for, in the state of iowa the schools are not allowed to force them to wear a mask. But I'm sure that some states they are. Yeah. Oh, they, they are in Iowa? Mm-mm. That's good. My kids wear them just because they want they want to. Yeah. But. Yeah. And. Yeah. I think it should be up to the parents to make that decision. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's one of those things where it's. And even with wearing the mask, like. I don't know. It, it's just there's just a lot of things that. Yeah. It's just hard. Costs a, and there's a cost benefit analysis that has to be done with every everything that's done. We've learned that with James. Yeah. That there's no there's no uh, measure that you take that you don't have to. You can just take mindlessly. Yeah, and there's and there's nothing. At some point, you have to accept some risk. Yeah. And so, and it's, yeah. So there, it's a question of how much risk is reasonable and how much risk is unreasonable. And it's just, you know. So yeah. what, are, what are you seeing at the hospital then? Well, we're seeing a lot of COVID. Younger people with COVID than before that are really sick. Um but just a ton of COVID. And then we're also seeing all, all kinds of other stuff that we don't ever see this time of year. Like RSV is just, I mean, what is it? RSV. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Respiratory syncytial virus. That is just absolute. I mean, it's been nuts. Like yeah. right now, our hot, our hospital this last week, we had 40 patients on that were just chilling in the ER because there's no beds. We were, we've been turning patients away. Oh, seriously? Yeah. It's so bad. And there's, it's so bad that they can't. So I work in an office. I no longer work as a nurse on the floor. Yeah. The work... Stolen Valor thing. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Well, not anymore. They came to our office and said, you have to work on the floor now. Oh, there's not enough help. There's too many patients and there's not enough nurses. There's not enough staff to take care of everybody. So now I have to work a certain number of hours a week on the floor to help out. No way, huh? Yeah. They're offering like $50 an hour extra just to go in and work a couple, work an extra hour. Huh. $50 an hour extra to just pick up. And it's not working because everybody's so burnt out. Because we've been, yeah. I mean, the hospitals have been overflowing for the last six months. Like really bad. And it's just, and now it's getting even worse with more and more people getting COVID. And it's just, it's like to the point where it's really bad. It's really bad. And it's like this everywhere. Like we get, we get calls from hospitals in Arkansas and Omaha and Illinois. We get calls to transfer patients to us because they don't have any room there. Yeah. There's been patients that we, I mean, there's, I know for a fact that there's several patients that have died because they have not had been able to find 
a hospital that has a ventilator for them to put them on to get them care. Yeah, really. Oh, yeah. Also, that that concern with the uh, ventilator shortage is now a thing. Well, it's not just the ventilator shortage. It's also the manpower. Because if you put someone on a ventilator, you have to have a doctor and a nurse. What about the woman power? Them too. But you have to have the people there to take care of them, to manage it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. I, I didn't know that it was like that. Yeah, it is. That's too bad. It's been like that, and it's unfortunate because people should know that. Yeah. I think I think it would make people that are a little bit more um, libertarian, it would soften their, or, or Republican maybe, it would soften their... Um, State, hardcore stance against yeah. the measures? Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, my whole thing about all of this has just been um, once, whether they, whether they're being upfront and honest or not, once you try to stop dissenting opinions, you don't even let them, you know, discuss it or bring it up, then it makes me automatically say you're hiding something. Yeah. And so, um, and I don't think that that's an un- unreasonable, you know, uh, position for me to take. Just because, you, you know, people in positions of power throughout history, they get addicted to it and they want more. And um, the way that the country, you know, with, supposed to run is that if you disagree you're supposed to be given that ability to state why you disagree and um yeah i think i i agree i think that the the there's a big problem with with uh shutting down dissent yeah it it, it creates it justifies people in their conspiratorial thinking and it ends up creating it ends up creating suspicion where it's yeah. not necessary where it's not necessarily needed yeah because i'm convinced that they didn't shut down dissent that the overwhelming majority of people who absolutely refused to get the vaccine probably would have gotten it yeah yeah if they just would have said you know this is what we think is best. You know, we know that there's reasons for why you wouldn't. We're encouraging you to do this. We really think it would be best. But we know that there's other viewpoints and everything. Like just, you know, uh, and, and I think they would have gotten a lot further. I mean, they did get, a, they have gotten very far already. Was it like 70% of adults? Mm, maybe. I don't think so. I don't think it's that high yet. Maybe. Are you calling me a liar? No, I'm not. Yeah, well, and the other part of it is, is like right now, so I am. I feel like you're calling me a liar. Well, it feels really good to do that, so maybe I'll (laughs) indulge it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, there's just so many things that go on with this, Jimmy. It's it's really hard. I heard somebody recently say that anybody that speaks with, speaks with certainty on it is part of is is part of the problem. Like they're definitely wrong. If people are certain about anything with it, they're probably crazy and wrong. Yeah, and, and that's it's, the problem, isn't it? Because the mm-hmm. people who are who are making the decisions and shutting down speech have to be that certain about it to actually shut down the other side. Yeah. And not only that, that are calling the shots and not only that, there are even more people that are absolutely convinced about their conspiracy theories that they won't listen to anything or anyone except for whatever they found on their conspiracy website or thread on Facebook. A conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy fact though. (laughs) <laughs> so I can prove it. I'm convinced that this COVID was manufactured by Kale Sanderson. By Kale Sanderson? So yeah. he doesn't have to wrestle Iowa? Well, last year, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, oh, we didn't We didn't get to wrestle Penn State. We, well, we didn't get we, – uh, we got – I don't, did we get to wrestle? I can't remember. I know. I we think did, I think it was it shut down right before the NCAA championships, and Iowa was going to win. Oh, they were going to win. They yeah, were going to win, and that would that, and it would have been two years in a row because they won this year. Jimmy, you may and be Gale up Sanderson to something. Was trying to thwart it so that he could he didn't lose his streak. I think I think you you're on to something. There's another reason. I think that Kale Sanderson uh, got together with Rafael Nadal. With Rafael Nadal. So there's a Tennessee, there's a Tennessee, there's a tennis and wrestling conspiracy happening. Yes, Kale Sanderson called Rafael Nadal, <laughs> not Rafael. I'm sorry, Roger Federer, and said, "Wow, that is uh, that's something." That's something. My uh, recording stopped for a second. I had to restart it, so that probably probably uh, probably dropped some of that beautiful conspiracy winding that you just. Uh, well, it's conspiracy fact. A so conspiracy fact. Anybody who disagrees, I'm taking them off my. I'm taking them off Facebook. You're taking them off of Facebook. You're already off of Facebook. I know. I'm you luddite. You're a Luddite. Oh, my. Oh, yes. Here we go. Isaiah 8, 12. This has been on my mind ever since I've read this cut several months ago. Um, this is regard. So there's the prophecy of the coming Assyrian invasion in Isaiah 8. Yeah. And then, um, and then in verse 11, it says this. So the Assyrians are coming to destroy Israel. It says, for this is what the Lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this people. So he's trying to um, prevent Isaiah from 
joining Israel in rejecting God's prophecy, God's God's word, right? So God is saying this to Isaiah to protect him from Israel's sin. He says, do not call everything a conspiracy. These people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. Anyway, I've been thinking about that because that's been really helpful for me with the like conspiracy thinking because it seems that passage seems to link conspiracy theory with fear. And it makes oh, sense. Yeah, it, does, yeah. it makes sense because conspiracy theories are only the manifestation of the fear that you are going to be taken advantage of. That someone yeah. you're fearing that someone's lying to you. And that that lie that they are giving you is making you vulnerable. And so a conspiracy theory is an attempt to protect yourself from whatever vulnerability is being put upon you based upon whatever conspiracy is going on. So anyway, so and, and it's interesting that Isaiah's Isaiah's or what the Lord's word to Isaiah is in this is not to correct the conspiracy or to fight or to, or to fight the misinformation or whatever. His answer is to go after what he fears and to order his fears appropriately, not to try and get the world right, but to get his heart right in relationship to to what he should ultimately be fearing, and that's God, and and putting his hope in in God rather than in what. And so this has been instructive for me as I've thought about this because my tendency as someone who is more conservative in his politics and tends to listen to people, especially on the right, that are full of conspiracies. Um, I, I'm not critiquing so much the people on the left because. I don't really identify with them on much. I do on a few things, but not on much. And so it's been really helpful for me to just sit back and think my conspiracy, my tendency to think conspiratorially is rooted in fear. And I don't have to feel that fear. I can just trust God and not indulge the conspiracy. That ultimately, even if Fauci and Biden and everyone else is out to get me with their mask mandates and their passport, vaccine passports and all that, I don't have to fear it. Yeah. yeah I don't, no, I don't I have to live in fear of that. There's a way to, to take a look at what's going on and to say there's something off here without allowing without getting so lost in the weeds yeah. to where a fear of it. Cause, cause I mean, there are certain things that are done and have been done. Um, that, um, you just look at it and you say, you know, they clearly were not above board on things and we're, you know, trying to say, not say what was happening 
because they were afraid of how the people were going to respond and stuff like that. Like with the masks, telling people not to wear masks at first and then, yeah. Yeah. And then coming out and owning it and saying, listen, you know, that was my bad. Like, I, you know, there, there should be more owning, but everyone's too busy politic posturing politically. And so even if it's a lie, they, they stick to their guns. They double, and this is on the right and the left. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I don't think that's just a left thing. It's on a right too, because, you know, during those, that's one of the things that I liked about Ron Paul, even over his son, Rand, is that Ron Paul would say what was not politically expedient for him to say, because he was just downright honest. And I think that um, I haven't found anyone on the Republican or Democrat side who is like Ron Paul even a little bit. Well, the people that on the left, the people on the left that would say that would, that would disagree with you. They would say that that's Bernie Sanders on the left. They would say that, but he doesn't say that because Ron Ron Paul has a a history and Bernie Sanders no longer talks about the evil millionaires and billionaires. He just talks about the evil billionaires now that he's a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that Ron Paul never would have, it's not in his DNA. He doesn't think about, they're, they're similar in that they're driven by their ideology. Mm-hmm. But there is a certain, uh, where Ron Paul does not calculate. He just states what he's thinking. I see Bernie as calculating a lot more than, than uh, Ron. Hmm. So when did, when did Ron Paul become Jesus? He didn't. <laughs> he was four. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, I, I just, I, I think it's, uh, there is a lot of downfalls to Ron Paul. I don't, th- I don't think you I would. I wouldn't really want him to be the president. I don't agree with everything he says, but there is something about his character that is different. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. There are there are some men or and women that I think are more trustworthy and more their character is more solid than others in in mm-hmm. politics. Definitely. Absolutely, and yeah. I think Ron Paul is certainly up there. Wait I think to, Ran- wait, wait, that was the most passive-aggressive rebuke I've ever received. <laughs> 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 but I would say, I would say, and I, I would say that Ron Paul is calculated. He, I think, it's probably he's pro- his calculations are probably less detected by you because you agree with them on the things that he's calculated about. Yeah. Well, I do hear him talk. He talks about the drug stuff, depending upon who he's talking to. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and I think this, I, so anyway, back to, I want to, I want to push oh, my sorry, point a little bit because I have a, I have a, a horse to ride on this that I think Christians in general need to reconcile with and that is that there is a um and i think this exists on not only 
on issues with COVID, but it's also on the issues with race, that there is a, um, there's an infiltration of the American, you know, Second Amendment, protect yourself um, at all costs, and um, sort of that autonomous Western, you know, self, you know, protect yourself, express yourself, love yourself, all, you know, just expressive individualistic mentality that, that I think permit, it it makes permissible a certain level of like self-protection that's destructive and that, and that it's divisive. And I think a lot of the, while there's, plenty of debate to be had on what the appropriate policies are and the appropriate responses, whether it's with regard to race or, or COVID. I don't think that this necessarily would diminish the importance and the, and the, and the good of having good discussion and debate on those issues. There's a lot of, but there is a lot of conspiratorial divisive conspiratorial thinking that is cause for a lot of people to act in ways like there's a defiance it's not like a i've thought this through and this is where i'm at and and this is what i think is the best response for me it's a Mm -hmm. there's a defiant like oh they're out to get me so heck with them so screw them yeah and and they're out to ruin things and and there's this kind of like a it's it's a it's a divisive spirit and and it's crept its way in because the people on the left tend to be opposed to christian values and so it's kind of like the fight or flight response kicks in yeah. it's like well we're standing up and we're going to fight and that's just not that is just not the appropriate approach in my mind for us to take with this even yeah. even if you think that even if people think that our civil liberties and our individual freedom is at risk it's not it's not worth it in my mind there's bigger there are bigger fish to fry than our individual liberties in my mind mm-hmm. yeah not that it's not important and there's it's a, not that it's not worth yeah. talking about there's like, like a million different factors that you could look at yeah. because you look at um not to equate in any way, not to equate um, what's going on with COVID and stuff like that with chattel slavery um, or abortion. <clears throat> but we would both agree that there is a time when you look at those two issues where you say, you know, it's the responsibility of the Christian to stand up to this and to do what you can to end it. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, it's not up to every Christian to do so because God has called us all to have different emphases. And, mm-hmm. um, but, but insofar as God has given you, you know, responsibility and gifting or whatever um, to do your part. And so we wouldn't take that, that same civil liberties or, you know, lower than the kingdom of God and therefore we wouldn't shine a light on those things and try to fix them as much as we possibly could. 
things like chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. The, the, the question is, is where do you draw the line on what should consume you and what shouldn't? Yeah. And I do think that with like COVID right now, there it's not uh, you, you just can't even begin to equate it with something like abortion or chattel slavery. No, you can't. It's not even close. Yeah. And, the, and that maybe that's the problem is that there's a uh, but at the same time you see and you know the having your papers that there is a a history of setting up uh, of dictators and such setting up a situation where you have to have your the appropriate papers and then they mark you as either an enemy or you know a friendly based upon your papers yeah there i mean that's so, it's a legitimate but, concern. But, I, but i think that is it is it to that point and i don't think it is because i mean you have with you know gavin newsom everyone virtually agrees the guy is going a little too crazy with it mm-hmm. and he's like the only one in the country though yeah with any with any power mm-hmm. who's able to do to affect you know to uh to affect the sort of power grab that he has and he's probably going to be kicked out yeah there is and, and so but i do think it's good to keep someone like him in check yeah oh absolutely i think have a responsibility to do that mm-hmm. but i but i think that the point is is that gavin newsom is not he, there, there's no other governor that's like him. Yeah. Who, who not that extreme. That much control. Yeah. So that that should, I think that should cause us to be, uh, to lower the temperature a little bit, and also to look and say, you know, what I the whole reason that this all started this conversation was because I was making comment about how the stands are filled with people. Yeah, at the U.S. Open and at the Iowa football game, mm-hmm. and so it's clear that things are getting back to normal, and that the the school thing. I'm not happy about it, but at the same time, you know, at least where it's mandated for all the kids to. Um, I don't think it's a great thing, but at the same time, um, for the most part, things are going back to normal. Yeah, and it's hard because I, you know, especially as things are getting worse with COVID right now, I do that. This is where the part of me, this is where I get, this is why I say I'm so conflicted, is because I understand why they would want to temporarily, you know, tighten things back up again to try to slow the spread of the virus. But at the same time, it's you know, people are exhausted with this. Yeah, people yeah. are exhausted with this. This is how I feel about the the critical race theory stuff. It may it, it may be a hundred years from now that people will look back at America and determine that critical race theory has the correct read on on uh, on our history, right? They may be right. Maybe they are right that everything from top to bottom, from 
the Constitution to everything else in American history is all nothing but just a grab for white supremacy. They might be right. The problem is... They're wrong. The pro- <laughs> I think <laughs> they're wrong. I do like legitimately think they're wrong. I think it's an yeah. any 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 theory that gives one answer to all the problems. Yeah. It's an unnew it's a lack of nuance, it's a lack of just basic understanding that humans are complicated and people contradict themselves in every possible way and they just read yeah. everything in that light. But let's just give for the sake of giving the benefit of the doubt, let's say they're yeah. right. If they're right, and they push, and that gets pushed. That will people will won't won't tolerate that. And I'm not saying that as some. I'm not speaking for myself. I'm not saying that I would get violent or or intolerable. I wouldn't in. I wouldn't be intolerant of someone who taught or believed that. But. I know our culture and I know what would happen on a yeah. broader scale. I'm not, I, I would like, I, maybe I'm arrogant and think too highly of myself compared to other people, but I just know other people that would not have the sort of tolerance for that, that I would, they would be very intolerant of it. And it would lead to a very divisive end in our culture. Uh, I'm sorry. Explain what you mean. Intolerant of what? Intolerant, uh, the people would be intolerant of critical race theory. Yeah, okay. That 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 would it would lead to a, a kind of division that would probably end up being violent. Yeah, it would end up in violence. I, I'm yeah. I'm 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 not just confident or think that might be possible. I am 100 percent sure that if critical race theory became like the dominant view among the elites yeah. and was being pushed it would lead to an outbreak of violence that would be yeah. hor- horrifying. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I and I that's the yeah. way I feel about I feel the same way about the covid stuff. Like if the government were to push for greater and greater restrictions, yeah. even though they might be justified, the problem is, is that people are tired of it. Yeah. Right. People are tired of it. Yeah. And they're only going to put yeah. up with so much before they get defiant. And the only step beyond defiance is violence. Yeah. That's the next step. Yeah. And, and, it, and I don't know. It's just, we're just in a really weird spot, I think as a culture. And yeah, my hope is, is that, you know, with the three people that listen to this, um, I want to drop the temperature. Like, I think it's just important for Christians to like, we have a different set of priorities than the average American. Mm-hmm. We have a different set of, of concerns, a different set of fears, a different set of priorities than the average individual out there. And ultimately our government doesn't give us freedom. And our government doesn't, our government is not in control of things that we as Americans would like to think they are. Mm-hmm. That's that's God. God is in control. He's ordering yeah. all of this. He maintains our peace. He maintains our rights and our civil liberties. And 
it's him that we should fear. We shouldn't worry about Joe Biden. There's a place for debate. There's a place for going out and voting and doing our thing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. We should remove ourselves from the political sphere. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is, is that that should temper our fears. You know, when people start talking about, you know, global conspiracies. You know, that COVID's being used as a means to shut businesses down for the one world government and all that, and they get into these really like like where there's some massive cabal to take over things, that's an evidence that a person has lost sight of the fact that God's in control of everything. Yeah, just like and, critical race theory. Yes, I would put them in the same category. Yep, and I think I think what I think people need to step back, and especially if you're a Christian, and take take stock of the the fact that Joe Biden and whatever other cabal of world powers that you think might be trying to get you are under the sovereign hand of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that means you don't have to write angry blog posts or Facebook posts and scream and yell about stuff. And it doesn't mean you need to get frustrated. You don't even need to get frustrated or upset. Yeah. We, we can be trusting and we can have hope. Yeah, no, I, it's definitely, uh, I, I think that the problem is that, um, that these principles are applied, uh, unequally for, for Christians to, even the principle you're laying forth about, trusting the sovereignty of God versus standing up for the oppressed, taking action, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these principle, principles are uh, applied unequally or maybe applied equally, but not applied universally between those who lean toward the right and those who lean toward the left. And so give, so be specific. See, give me an example of what you mean. Like the critical race theory thing. Right. That's the left. Well, those who kind of lean more toward the left would, uh, you know, would look at the the country being founded upon systemic racism. So they see behind, you know, every bush. Um, and then you would have someone on the right and, you know, they would say we have to stand up against this and we have to uh, we have to be a voice for uh without the oppressed Mm -hmm. and then you would see uh people on the right maybe standing up a little bit and making a big uh lifting up their voice about something like abortion Mm -hmm. um and so and then there would both on both sides say but we have to trust god at the end of the day but we also have a responsibility there's this tension between trusting god but also being active to affect whatever change we can affect Mm -hmm. But there's a there are differences of opinion in regard to um, what are those issues that we need to actually stand up and do something about. Yeah, I mean, when, uh, so, it's a it's a and that's a that's the hard question. Yeah, I totally yeah, agree with you because there is a time to do that. I don't think COVID is the thing to do it over because no. Gavin Newsom is the the oddball in this. Yeah, at least that's what it seems to me. 
And, um, but I think that, you know, the, there, so the, the reason I'm saying this is because whenever a Christian or whenever a conservative Christian says the thing about COVID and talks about individual rights and all these other things and expresses their concern, and then they talk about how there's a, you know, the government is overstepping their bounds and everything. And so they're trying to let it be known. The people on, you know, the, who lean more left will then say, uh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't speak up because you need to trust God. But then they'll stand up and speak up about the things that concern them. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, it's, it's, you're applying that. It's, it's applying it unequally. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's probably important for, for both sides of the, you know, the, the main point that I'm getting at is both, uh, there are some people who do need to take a stand for the oppressed and all that stuff who aren't doing as much as they could be doing. Mm-hmm. And then there are, are a lot of people who aren't trusting that God is sovereign. And so they're taking the matter into their own hands. And I've seen this a lot with people at work. They're just terrified. Yeah. Of where the world is going. Yeah. And that's a, that's a temptation for me because, you know, I, I can sympathize with them as people on the right and the left, by the way. Yeah, it is. Cause I, yeah, I, I hear it on the, on the left because there's concerns about, you know, COVID and there's also the concerns about the racial stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to kind of, um, sympathize with them. But I think that one of the things that I can do much better in is in turning the conversation to Christ and saying, you know, I know you're concerned about this, but there is a greater kingdom. Yeah. Uh, and there is the kingdom of God, you know, as D.A. Carson, I know, has talked about, and I'm sure many other people, that, that when you think about the kingdom of God, you can think about it as, you know, the church, as the remnant within the church, right? Actually, you start out small. The remnant in the church, he's the Lord of his people. And then he's the Lord of the church, which would be um, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's, I think, speaking of the universal church. Mm-hmm. And then you have the kingdom of the, the world. God is king over all, not just over his church. Mm-hmm. and um, Over so, the whole cosmos. Yeah. So you're part of, you know, even non-Christians are in the kingdom of God in that larger sense and i think that there i know that i could do better in talking to my non-christian friends at work to say you know uh you know i know that you're concerned about this the thing that you should primarily be concerned about is your soul and about becoming right with god and project a certain confidence and not project the instability and fear that the world projects because we do have our, a father in heaven who loves us and gives us our daily bread. And, um, yeah. Christians too, who will talk about the COVID stuff and overreach of the government and the racial stuff and all this other and abortion and everything else. And they, they will, they will project true heart consuming fear. Yeah. Which is, which is really wrong. It's yeah. sinful. I think I think there's a good corollary here with death. You know, the Bible is very clear that the Christian's perspective on death is that 
you obviously feel death, you feel the weight of death and you experience mourning. Like when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, when he got there and Mary and the other disciples are mourning his death, Jesus weeps with them. He actually feels, he empathizes with them and enters into their pain with them and mourns with them despite the fact that he knows he has the power and the ability to raise him from the dead. Yeah. And then you also have, you know, when you get to first Corinthians 15 and is it first or is it first Thessalonians? I can't remember which where, where we're told to mourn, but not as those without hope. Yeah. Right. First Thessalonians four. Yeah. Yeah. First Thessalonians. So, so we're, we, when we look at death, we we know that death has ultimate. It, it's coming for us, and that it and that it kills us and it separates us from our loved ones. And there's it, it, a finale. There's a finality to it, and so in that we mourn and we suffer the pain of that loss, but we don't. But we don't fear it, right? And we because we know that there's things beyond death, and we don't. And we mourn, but we don't mourn as if that loss is complete. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a corollary there between that and our response to these sort of world events or these circumstances that we're facing, that there, there's there's that dual reality that that we're facing something that is an imminent threat whether it be to our health or be to our civil liberties. Yeah. And we can lament that and we can um, assert whatever degree of appropriate um, protest to it. Because that's what mourning is. Mourning is nothing more than an emotional protest. That's what that's what mourning is. It's a pro it's a it's and I think that's why God invites us into it and why Jesus joined the people in it. He's protesting death. Death is not natural. It's, it's, it's something that's horrible. Yeah. Right. There's, there's, it's a kind of protest against death. And so I think there's an appropriate way to protest when rights are infringed and all that, but not to do so as if that's it. That's the final thing. And I think yeah. that that's where Christian, that's where I see a lot of Christians, my fellow Christians at today is that I see yeah. a lot of people that they're the loss of their civil liberties is the loss of everything that they value. Yeah. Or, or having, yeah. or having to get a vaccine is like going to be the end of everything to them Yeah. or, or, um, or people not getting vaccinated is the end of everything or wearing a mask is like this great imposition that that it's going to, they're going to lose their identity if they have to wear it or, or there's this uh, in, you know, this ominous threat if people don't wear masks. Mm -hmm. And so it's, and the thing is, is I I think like with death, the threats may be real. They may be real just as death is real. And there may be appropriate, there's an appropriate way to express sorrow and frustration over that loss, whatever, however it may manifest itself. But it needs to be 
it needs to be tempered with with yeah. hope in who God is and not yeah. be consuming to the point where people are getting as heated and frustrated as they are. And you can see yeah. the heat online, you know. Yeah. But I agree. I, I do sense that there is a um, among conservative types uh, there is an an idol is it you know idolatry in regard to the concept of America mm-hmm. and um, and that I don't think it's wrong to see I, I like America I like the Bill of Rights and the Constitution yeah but I I, I do think that every American Christian needs to ask the question uh conservative christian at least needs to ask the question if if i was born into a dictatorship and had and knew about america and had no way ever to escape would i still have the basis for uh for joy you know would would i still have a billion reasons to live yeah and to live to live joyfully or to and, and if the, go ahead or, or to not just, just go, go ahead jo- and inter- interrupt me <laughs> i invite you <laughs> or just to not join an insurrection and pull a coup yeah yeah no and i i think that there's a um it almost seems like a like a historical ignorance. Yeah, or to, to, to recognize that you know there really wasn't this sort of freedom before you know 1776, and even when it came in 1776, it was about 150, 100, and, what it, would it be 150 years later, uh, 100, yeah, something like that uh, before. Um, you know, a significant por- portion of the population was able to enter into the into the liberties, you know, namely, uh, you know, African Americans. Well, even at the very beginning, which, which I mean, if you studied any Baptist history, you know, Baptists were jailed in America. Yeah. Like, like there's all you know, there's always been elements of America. You know, my here's my concern is that we like you said there's not only historical ignorance but there's also an unhealthy an unhealthy confidence in in the in the in the um sort of stability of what we have in America like yeah like there's like it's yeah. like we have reached the promised land of all political ideology which we haven't the the uh, the promised land of political ideology is theocratic dictatorship that's mm-hmm. that is that is the christian political philosophy yeah yeah that is i mean we should we are theocratic dictator like subjects that's that is our political philosophy that is going to be the political philosophy that rules the new heavens and the new earth yeah no so i'll so our uh, our constitutional republic built on capitalist principles 
is an inferior form of political theory. Mm-hmm. And people treat it as if it is anywhere near the as as if it's like the golden standard that we all need to fight and die for. And and it sh- it shows a lack of wisdom and a lack of understanding of uh, I, that's not to say that what we have is not good and God hasn't blessed it. He has, but it's just to say that it's not, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that because we've seen it all throughout the world. Yeah. Um, is when, you know, when you have a corrupt people, they elect corrupt leaders and there goes your nice little democracy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we already, we see it in America too. I mean, there are supposed to be representatives, but for some strange reason, in order to get an office, they have to spend literally tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to get an office to represent us. Yeah. And it's like, not anybody can just run for president. No. And, and that, that's the thing is that it's running for president is you have to have connections and it has to go way up the, the chain, of, you know, way up the ladder. And um, it's definitely not perfect. And but I think even if even if it didn't exist, because up until 1776, it didn't exist. Yeah, I mean, there were there were there were shadows of it, you know, in the Greek greek democracies and things like that but nothing nothing like what we have with no especially the the separate powers and things like that that were built into and and i think it's the best you know that it's woefully imperfect but show me something better who oh yeah yeah i don't think Yeah. yeah i don't think you can find anything better which I think is, there's that there's a good reason to preserve what we have and to honor what we have as a blessing from God, and I think it's the best we can come up with right now. Um, yeah. But I don't. But but that needs to be tempered with the reality that this is not. This is. I don't want to sound like I'm anti-military in saying this either, but it's just it's just not. For the Christian, I don't think it's worth getting too worked up over. So do you agree with John MacArthur um, that it probably wasn't the best thing to fight the Revolutionary War for Christians to take up arms against? Because I I do struggle with that. I struggle with it too. I I share some of John MacArthur's sentiments. My problem is, Jimmy, I'm going to be straight honest with you, and this is going to sound really sad. I just don't know enough about all the circumstances that led up to the Revolutionary War to know whether or not I agree with it. If the Revolutionary War was just simply you're taxing us without representation, then I would say 100% Christians had no business fighting in that war. Yeah. Um, Jesus said, "Pay, pay. You know, you pay to Caesar what Caesar's. You don't. You don't like there was." no protest in Jesus at all about paying the Roman government, you know, yeah. who was, who, who was murdering and enslaving and, you know, doing horrible things to Israel. Yeah. 
Jesus was honoring him. You know, I, I just, I, there's just no room for that. I don't think yeah. that being said, yeah. there's, I assume I'm assuming for those that support the revolutionary war, that they would say that that's an unnuanced perspective as to what happened and to why yeah. the new, the revolutionary war happened. And, and I just don't know enough to be able to know whether or not that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a hard time thinking about taking up arms against the government because of taxation. Yeah, no. no any Christian any Christian that would, um, boy, that I just that's. Well, so that's we, a, we have a, a verse in First Corinthians seven about it when Paul says, um, he talks about slaves. He says, if you were a slave when you were converted, this is not a direct quote. If you were a slave when you were converted, remain in the position that you're in. Oh, in First Corinthians seven, yeah, like with the and marriage says, and if yeah. you can get your freedom, then by all means, you know, get it. But but he says that remain in the position that you're in. Yeah. And um, you know that there is a thing about uh, just even Acts chapter seventeen, where you know God has sovereignly put us where he is designed for us to be the times and the places of all men. So you know what he says. Yeah. And so he's decided that we were going to be born in America um, at this particular time in history. And this is his sovereign prerogative. Uh And I I think all the time about, you know, I had no choice in regard to where I would be born and the parents that I'd be born to the country I'd be born in the year, uh, the year alone. You, you know this because I mean, you and I had completely different influences growing up because we had different friends. Yeah. I went, I was born in 1981 and you were born in 1978. Yep. And so we had a different group of friends that influenced you differently. And we grew up out in the country instead of in the town. And so that affects, you know, what your influences are as well. And all these things that we have no control over. uh, And God just makes these decisions for us. And so I think about, you know, um, have you ever heard of, it's a Yoni Park or whatever from North Korea? Yeah, yep. And her kind of story, her story about getting freedom. And I just think about, you know, uh, I, I could have been born in North Korea. The Lord chose for me not to. And... The, the question that I keep coming back to is if I was born in North Korea and, um, and I, uh, was a Christian, would I have reason to live? Would I have reason for joy? Yeah. And the, the answer as a Christian has to be up. Yeah. Yeah. I would. And I think that there, it projects the wrong thing to the world when we join them. And this is something I do need to work on it because I know that I, I do get exercised about things, the way things are going, mm-hmm. but it is, it is wrong. I would say even it's sinful to join the world in, uh, communicating that basically this is our, this is our hope. Yeah. Our hope is in the same thing that their hope is in. Yeah. I totally that, agree with you. Yeah. And that goes for whether you're born as a slave or a free man. Yeah. Because, you know, in, with the slavery, you know, Paul or Paul says, you know, 
you know, and be content with it. If you can get your freedom, then get it. But, you know, understand that that's, you were born into that and that's, uh, you know, seek contentment in all these things and put our hope fully in the hope that is to be revealed, you know, when, when Christ returns. Yeah. Yeah. Our hope is not built out of our circumstances. Yeah. Uh, that's not, that's, but there seems to be a disconnect. That's yeah. where the disconnect is. Don't you yeah. think? I totally think it is. When, when you read Psalm 23, the reason why Psalm 23 is so compelling is because you're in the valley of the shadow of death, the circumstance yeah. of death, and it's in there that there's green pastures and a table set for yeah. you before before your enemy, in front yeah. of your enemy. Your enemy is in eyesight. You're in the valley of the shadow of death, and it's there that God meets you. And so the it should be the baseline um, expectation of the Christian that things in this world are going to be contrary to your comfort. Yeah. And your joy is not in, is not built out of those circumstances. It's built out of who God is and your connection with God through Christ. And the thing is, is that I think what's, what's being challenged is that we've had, this is, I'm so convinced that Jesus's statement uh, about how it's more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven is so written for 20th and 21st century Christian or Americans that I, th I think I think he had us in mind when he said that. <laughs> and the reason yeah. I think so is because there's never been a generation of people more comfortable and yeah. more at ease and more free than we are to the point where to the point where we we just don't feel like we need God a lot of the time. Yeah. And yeah, and that goes for every color. Yeah. It goes for every not not every strata of society, because there are some at the very poorest yeah. in America who really are destitute. But that is the the far and away the exception yeah and, among the poor. and i think what what has happened is that a lot of people don't perceive how broken and how how they forget and i shouldn't say they haven't ever seen it they they either haven't seen it or they have forgotten that this world will never deliver on the the hopes that you have for it. Yep. yep. It just it will it will never happen. And the problem is is that when you have comfort, it's just, you know, it's the buildup of expectations. You know, you yep. you you acclimate yourself to the circumstances you're given. And if you know that every time you go to use your debit card, it works. And and you know that every time you open your fridge, there's food. And you know that every time you go to get in your car, there's gas. And you know yeah. that there's always a car there for you, and and there's always clean and um, and decent looking clothes for you, and there's always electricity to keep you at an ambient temperature of seventy two degrees every day. Yeah, and you, food at the store. 
There's food. Yeah, there's, you have all of that. Then what happens is you begin to s- sort of acclimate to that and you just think, oh, well, it's supposed to be that I'm supposed to be have all these rights and have all these privileges. And it's wrong if I don't. And people feel as if there's something wrong has happened that they don't that that might be threatened or that they don't have what they think they should. And the reality is, is that from a Christian perspective is no, it, you should expect, this is the anomaly that the the circumstance that we have right now is the anomaly. And, and we're not only, not only are we called to not freak out if it doesn't turn out the way we want it, but we're called to thrive in the circumstance of not having it. And so anyway, and so I I think, I think the COVID stuff is just, it's another pinpoint of pressure on the church, exposing our, our, exposing the fact that we're putting our trust in, in God's gifts rather than God himself. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells us to set our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us. Mm Mm-hmm. On the you know on the day of Christ, and that's why I and, think all this conspiracy stuff is really. I think it's. I think I don't. I think people, the, the the conspiracy thing is so intoxicating because it makes you feel like you've got information that other people don't, and it makes you feel like you're protecting yourself, and you, and it's it's a way of grasping at holding on to worldly blessings and worldly gifts, and and I think it just. And, 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 but people feel justified because, well, the government's corrupt. And so it's, you know, and so they have justification for holding on to it. And, you know, and they got all their evidence that they can pile up. And it's just like, okay, well, maybe you're right. But even if you're, whether you're right or wrong, doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, you know, and then, you, like you said, you it, just having to exercise the wisdom to know what your response to it should be. Yeah. Like you said, we're talking about I think all of these things go for the racial stuff on the, what for me would be on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. That, um, it applies to the people who are not happy with the police and feel like they're being, uh, treated unfairly. That there has to be at some point be, some contentment and to say this world is is not my home mm-hmm. and there and, and see that's the thing is that one uh there you have some people who will speak against you know the right side you know the, i guess you would say you know the the co you know the covid denier vex, vaccine conspiracy theories then you have on the you know it's not that they're always pitted against each other but then mm-hmm. you have you know those that kind of represent the the social unrest and stuff like that mm-hmm. and but i think the same word needs to be spoken to both yeah. is no it's not right it's not perfect um there there are reasons for uh, for why you feel and think the way that you do. Um, 
you live in a period in history where it's better than it's ever been. And you live in a country where it's better than pretty much anywhere else. And um, it, these things are worth, uh, like you were saying, lamenting over grieving. But at the end of and the day. And they're worth doing what we can. Like you said, when the, when the, when the, like, like you were saying about First uh, Corinthians or First Thessalonians four, that where there are opportunities to uh, grasp for freedom, you yeah, should, and yeah. and we should work to, and we should as Christians care about the oppressed and, and yeah. work toward them. And that's the thing is that what happens is, is people get really antsy with what you're saying. They get really antsy with what you're saying because they think that they don't have the ability to nuance, right? They don't want a nuanced discussion. They want to, everything's horrible, so we need to tear down the system and fix everything, as if there's we're going to erect some utopia and fix yeah. all of these issues. And the fact is, here is the brute fact that nobody wants to deal with, is it will never happen. It will not happen this side of the new heavens and new earth. It's not going to happen. That COVID's going to be handled right. <laughs> And that racial reconciliation is going to manifest itself in some utopian manner. It's just, it, it doesn't matter how upset we get. It doesn't matter how, how many protests are had. It doesn't matter how many tears are shed the same way that my wife is going to die. I'm probably going to die before her. That's a guaranteed thing going to happen. Our parents are going to die. There's nothing we could do about it. This world is broken and death is here. Yeah. And so we we have to allow those things to not be an excuse to not care and not take action mm-hmm. where we can. But they also should inform our level of emotional investment in them, knowing what's possible, knowing the limits of what we can accomplish and knowing that our circumstances, these circumstances are not a hindrance to the gospel and they're not a hindrance to our hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not. And yeah. and I think what happens is that people get so fixated on them because they're convinced that making these changes is actually going to make a difference for the gospel. It's going to actually make a difference yeah. for people's hope. And it's not. No, it's not. And we're, and we're the, never going to realize. The thriving right now under communist China more than anywhere yeah. else in the world, from, from, what I, from what I understand. Yeah, from what I've heard. I, same here. And so, you know, policing may get 50 billion times worse. And, you know, the African-American community may be hunted in actuality. And Christians may be shut down left and right, may be pushed underground. And a uh, Gavin Newsom could become the president, <laughs> you know. But all, someone like him, and all these things are very like these things are possible. No, yeah, that's... it's happened throughout the church, the course of history. Yeah. and and the, the question is, is you know, when if all of that were to happen, would we still have the basis for joy that we have right now? And I the the challenge to me, you and everyone else is you better make sure that's the case. Yeah. And part of the way that we do that is by 
lowering out the temperature in our own heart and just being content with whatever God brings our way. And, and I do think that what you said about how we adjust, we like acclimate to the conditions that we're in, Mm -hmm. we expect things to work because everything else in our life, we can generally manipulate enough Mm -hmm. to make it work. And we're up against things right now that we can't do that with because we're not God. And we're learning the limits of our ability to fix things. Yeah. And um, America's good at producing, fixing technical issues and stuff like that, but we're not all that great at fixing um, relational issues. No, but you know what, Jimmy? The good news is that you, as I'm looking at your face right now, that you have skipped the Snowden gene or the Dunsworth gene on our mom's side of losing your hair. I am so impressed with your genetic expression right now. Clearly, the brokenness of the world has not affected your head. Well, actually, I was at uh, Hannaford. It's a grocery store. You got less than 30 seconds. Go. Hannaford. And uh, they have, when you go to pay, it's at the um, Uh self-checkout. And then they take a picture of the top of your head. (laughs) And I notice it's getting a little thin back there. Good. I hope it all goes away so that you join me and the rest of the Snowden clan. Dude, I got to go. Why? Where are you going? My kids are here. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Colloquy. I am your host, Luke. Today we were joined by Jimmy Snowden. He is the spokesman for the AANHR, the American Association for Nose Hair Rights. He studied law at Bob Jones University and attended grooming classes at his local Asian nail salon. It was in his beauty grooming classes that he learned about the nasal passages and the protective qualities of nose hairs, clearing the air of trapping and trapping viruses and other harmful pathogens from the air into the respiratory system. Moved by contempt of government overreach and mask mandates, Jimmy and the AANHR have been campaigning for the removal of all nose hairs in active protest against mask mandates. Their slogan, No Mask, No hair can be heard on the streets outside nail salons across America in protest. Jimmy educates the public on the unnecessary presence of nose hair and invites his people to shave their nose hairs with him on his daily podcast, The Naked Nose. He is on the U.S. government's terrorist watch list and is unable to board any U.S. planes on account of public warnings that he will forcibly shave the nasal passages of any person on a plane with him. You can catch Jimmy daily on The Naked Nose and weekly as a featured guest on the Alex Jones Podcast. Thank you.